You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello again and welcome to the latest edition of Locked On Indians. This is Jeff Ellis, the one-man wonder of this podcast so far. Uh, I'm thankful to everyone who's enjoying this uh, setup of me speaking into the mic. It's just a little bit easier than trying to line up a bunch of guests, especially in the offseason. On today's show... We're going to discuss some more moves that happened in an already sparse free agent market, market making it all the more uh, flea markety at this point. Uh, we'll talk about some of the other rumors. We'll just kind of go around, go over a few of the things that I talked about in yesterday's show. And then I had a piece drop on scouting baseball today with the my kind of my first tier or so of players for this year's MLB draft. Um, there were kind of 12 that stood out, um, head and shoulders above the rest of the group to me that really intrigued me. Uh, no prep pitchers because the Indians and I, and that's basically what it comes down to, the Indians and I have very different views when it comes to scouting. And they are all about high risk, high reward. Uh, and it's about as high risk as you can get is flamethrowing prep arms. Whereas I look at the, um, the rate of success, I, you know, I could, pull it out um i have in this article that i I did the research on that uh from 2000 to 2015 there were 35 pitchers taking the top 15 picks they didn't even do the first round they just did the top 15 the first half of the first round high uh high picks uh of those pitchers of the 35 taken over that 15 year period 16 missed significant time due to injury 12 became regulars and just four high-end number one, number two, number three, uh, a number three that occasionally looks like a two type of arm. It was just not, it doesn't give you the high-end results, at, and it also has a, a risk. Now, you know, I should probably go through and check out every other position. It, there's also a point where you're like, well, 50% of them became, uh, 50% of them were hurt. Uh, 12, so you're looking at almost about a third became regulars, 33%, which feels low end honestly based on what i have seen um when i have done this for other things so that's you know that's kind of a, a teaser and i'll talk about the 12 guys some former indians draft picks in that mix of the top players in the upcoming draft for me but let's talk about the news of the day the washington nationals are apparently going to buy every free agent left uh that's just the way it's going to work the nationals are going to sign everybody uh they think a, instead of a 26-man roster that they get a 46-man roster, apparently. They added Eric Thames today to for a one-year, $4 million uh, deal that includes a $1 million buyout. So he gets $5 million, which is, I think he would have got six if he had stayed um, with Milwaukee, but he got a buyout there as well. So he essentially got all the money he would have gotten with the Brewers. He is a strict platoon at first base. He barely played against lefties, but he absolutely mashes righties. Um, in some respects, he kind of would have been ideal with Luplo, but you can't really play him in the outfield anymore either. That's that's the other difficulty. You would have had to basically make it uh, when it's righties, Reyes is in the outfield. When it's lefties, Reyes is DH, and that's kind of how that would have worked uh, somewhere along that line. Um, yeah, you know, it, it, there was ways to make it work, and $4 million is nothing, and Thames has continued to be a very good hitter. It's shaping up at this point when you get right down to it. You know, they, they added Estrubal, who's a backup at 
you know, maybe he even platoons a bit. Uh, we'll have to see. Howie Kendrick can't really play much second anymore. He's okay at third, but he's best at first. So I'm curious to see. You know, he he does hit lefties, but I, he didn't sign to be a left-handy left-handed platoon caddy. That's that's not what he signed up for. But you got Kendrick Estrubel, Castro is second base. That's just he's set. He's there. Um, Turner is your shortstop. Uh, and people keep talking about, well, maybe someone moves the outfield. Again, it's it's Victor Robles, it's Juan Soto, it's Adam Eaton. There's not really, you know, an easy guy to move. Those are all solid to great options with Soto. And, yeah, so, you know, there's talk they want to bring back Ryan Zimmerman still. And I didn't even mention Carter Kaboom, who's their near-ready um, top prospect. Zimmerman is a righty, so maybe there's the chance if you bring him back. You know, he's been with this team. He debuted in 2005 at age 20. He was a high pick. He's, like, maybe the single greatest uh, MLB player from the University of Virginia ever. Uh, you know, I've talked about that program struggles. Only a two-time All-Star, um, two-time Silver Slugger, one-time Gold Glove. He had that reputation, but he just he never saved healthy. Best OPS he ever produced... 880 uh, in a full season was 888. I'm sorry, 899 was the best. Then 888. Uh, a lot of times he would just stuck around the eights. You know, good but not spectacular. He was a good player, but never the great player uh, that I think. I mean, I thought he'd become. I thought he'd be a, a perennial MVP type of candidate, especially after his rookie year with the defense. But injuries uh, just kind of zapped him. But he could come back. If he comes back, then you have an easy platoon there at first. Uh, but I think we can more or less take them out of the Donaldson sweepstakes. Um, adding Thames, adding uh, Castro, adding Estrubel, you start adding up all those little bits of money. And then they also today re-signed Daniel Hudson to a two-year deal that's worth $11 million for the next two years with a, uh, a $1 million buyout at the end of it. So he gets essentially uh, $12 million for the next two years for sure. And their pen gets... You know, maybe he stays in the closer role and Harris stays in the setup role that he's been in with the Astros. And for a team that had massive, massive bullpen issues a year ago, I mean, they're, they're set up pretty well. I think they know what their bullpen is going to look like and the roles they're going to be in. But this feels like a team that's kind of settling into place. This feels like a roster that is very much settling into form. Of We can kind of guess who's going to play where and who's going to play what. So I think we can probably, much like the Twins, take the Nationals out of the Donaldson sweepstakes. It's feeling more and more like Donaldson is kind of Braves or bust. I know the Rangers are also in the picture, but you can already see them saddling up to talk to their finalist for Nick Castellanos. It's interesting to hear that just because like, I've only heard two teams with him. At the end of the day, I've only heard uh, the Rangers and the Giants, really. Um, so... I think it, right now we're setting up. We'll see what happens. You know, I think Donaldson wants to return to Atlanta. They want him back. It just makes sense at this point. Um, will they pony up what he wants, or will someone else swoop is basically what it comes down to. Is he willing to take uh, less to go to Atlanta? I mean, especially now that the Nationals have spent like they have. That's taken away some of his leverage. So we'll have to see. It's, it's an interesting situation. Um, they'll have to continue to track going forward. If you assume that Castellanos has a pretty good deal of ending up in Texas and that Donaldson has a pretty good chance of ending up uh, in Atlanta, 
then what do the Twins do? I mean, Marcelo Zuna, but they don't need outfield help. Like, that just doesn't work. They're already, you know, shopping Eddie Rosario, if you believe the talk. They have Kepler, they have Buxton, they have Rosario. Um, they've got Kirilov, they have Cave. They don't need an outfielder. So there's a chance that for all the talk of the Twins and what they would do in free agency this year, they're going to do very little. Um, I don't know if they start hitting the trade market or what, but it, this is a situation that it's kind of worst case. Like, if you were the Twins, you were probably hoping that somehow, you know, <laughs> you were hoping to get something. You were hoping to get one of these upper tier guys. And like I said, we're kind of down to Azuna um, being the guy, but he doesn't fit their need. And then you go, like, who's next up? Um, it's it's an ugly list of who's left. It's just, it is. It's, you know, when I had my tweet the other day about, like, we're going to see Cameron Mabin in left field for the Indians. It's like, well, I mean, uh, there's Cameron Mabin, there's uh, Todd Frazier, there's uh, Alex Gordon. I mean, these aren't your, your most inspiring options, but we're, we're very quickly getting there. Um, with the signing of Daniel Hudson today, that takes another one of those guys off those M the MLB trade rumors top 50 that I talked about. So now uh, Pedro Stroop enters the top 10 available pitchers left, which means there's 11 guys left from that list in a free agency, three of them being the last three guys. Um, you know, Not to say that there aren't still interesting guys who didn't make the list, like a Maven, like um, Alex Gordon and such, but... Yeah, it, it's getting very slim pickings, and every day it gets slimmer. And that's probably the reason we're seeing guys kind of already accept minor league deals or, you know, invites to camp. We're seeing that happen a lot earlier than that typically happens, but we're seeing it occur now. We're seeing teams line up their non-roster invitees, and uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see who, you know, like I said, Azuna at this point, I mean, my best guess would be Azuna ends up back in the cards. And that, um, I mean, I don't know what anyone's going to do beyond that, but I, I would bet Azuna to the cards, Donaldson to the Braves, uh, Castellanos to um, the Rangers. I mean, if you want a, a left field choice for Azuna, the Giants, um, you know, they could always use a little more. They're willing to go out and spend. They're in a, you know, a market that is um, really... Uh, rich let's just be honest that is a very high income community in san francisco so we'll have to see what goes there but yeah it's 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 not looking good if you want to find talent in free agency and that's why you know i brought it up again today online the indians have to look for something along the lines of what the giants did where they got will wilson for zach cosart you know if the indians could convince the mets to you know jed lowry and Dom Smith for a small piece, then maybe that's what you do where you take on that extra money. Um, you have to find ways thinking outside the box and in the margins because, I mean, tomorrow we'll talk about lineups, but it, it's not a very good-looking lineup right now because no matter what, it's like Daniel Johnson isn't going to break camp with this team. Jordan Luplo is going to get every chance he can to be an everyday starter um, in the outfield. And when he proves that that's not the best outcome because for his career – even in the minors, he has shown that it's not his best outcome. And let's be honest, he's in for regression. I mean, he was too good a year ago against lefties. Um, he was better than anything we had really seen before with him. He was going to be good, but if, if the Pirates knew he was going to be that good, they weren't going to have traded him. 
So he's probably in for regression to begin with, and then asking him to hit righties is almost just going to make that regression even more likely and more severe because it's going to be, um, it's kind of, to a degree, nice to be able to just lock in and know, okay, a lefty's on the mound. Like, it's just, he only has to worry about facing a very small percentage of the league. It's always the same flow. It's always the same situation for him, which makes life easier. I mean, in anything you do, a consistency is makes things easier. So we'll see. It's... uh you can't just sit there and play possum. You know, that was their approach to last offseason, and they didn't make the playoffs. And I am not this guy, and I love the fact that the Dolans are handoff owners. Uh, maybe handoff owners is uh, not what I meant to say, but it might be actually exactly what I should say. And essentially what it comes down to is it's ridiculous that they're not spending at this point in time. Uh, it just it is. To, if, if salary goes down again this year, that is an absolute travesty, and I cannot defend the Dolans' as owners. Um, basically, that negative track for me began last year. I mean, I have said that they could never have kept Lindor, and that, you know, uh, he was bound, set, and determined to get to free agency. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if at points his agent has been very because his agent has never had that big contract that'll help him get other clients and also make him a ton of money uh, i'm sure his agent has been very loudly speaking in his ear because his agent needs lindor to get there and to make lots of money to kind of make his name too so there's there's a few levels to this but uh and whatever <laughs> i'm not complaining that's that's great for smart play by his agent and by him but uh as much as that was a situation where uh, I understood they could never sign him, the, for lack of a better term, asinine statements made by Dolan a year ago where it seemed like he was almost taunting a fan base. Um, I mean, the Twitter, which used to be very deftly handled at points this year, has at times has seemed almost antagonistic. And... You know, I just I talk to people who have been season ticket owners, and it's a lot of them aren't coming back, or a lot of them have felt like they were treated badly. And there's as much as I defend the front office, there's just been some other small issues along the way that makes it harder and harder to defend some of the inner workings of the Cleveland Indians. So let's talk about rumors. Oh, actually, before we go to the rumors, let's talk about the other free agent signing, Jose Iglesias. The last potential starting shortstop on the market goes to the uh, Baltimore Orioles. He will take over that Jonathan Villar place. He gets $3 million. And if, so it's 2.5 with a 5K buyout. And the club option's 3.5. So it's a very cheap deal for a guy who's 30 and plays a solid short. And frankly, he's coming off one of his best offensive seasons. Uh, it's, it's a great deal for the Orioles. I mean, that's a no-lose scenario. It's at that lower price, he could have legitimate trade value um, at the deadline. He's a perfect replacement if someone is... As someone who's hurt or underperforming, you can put him in. He's going to be an above-average defender and close to a league-average uh, offensive player if he can repeat last year. It's a really smart move by the Orioles. So let's now get into that rumor mill that uh, is phony baloney. Let's just get to it. That the uh, the Indians and the Angels talked about Clevenger. Now let me just talk about Clevenger. He is a fantastic pitcher with three years of control. The starting pitching market is a dumpster fire, and in terms of like the biggest name right now in the trade market that we know is is very movable is Robbie Ray, who's coming off a down year and has two years of team control left, and is going to be overpriced relative to what he's done recently. 
because of what he's done in the past, being left-handed in the multiple years of team control. So any team out there, every team in baseball has an interest in Mike Clevenger. Which is, that's the basis. That's truth. And when other teams hear that other teams are, oh, well, I saw a report about this team trying to acquire him. Let's just check in. So here's what happened. I am. I, this is no inside source. This is no inside baseball. This is just knowledge of baseball and the way it works. And this is what happened between the Indians and Mike Clevenger. Hey, uh, we've heard Clevenger's name is uh, out there. Would you move him? And I wouldn't say we wouldn't move him. Uh, okay, so what are you thinking? Uh, Joe Adele and Brandon Marsh. We're not moving Adele. Well, we're not moving Clevenger. End. Like, that's it. Like, that's, that's what happens. Teams call. The Indians, you know, expect to basically say, you know, give us the Godfather offer or we're not doing it. The other team says we're not doing it. End of story. And that's where it is. Um, Clevenger is not on the block. The reason his name keeps coming up is the same reason that Lindor's name keeps coming up. Every team in baseball wants both of those guys. Every team in baseball would be better with both of those guys. Those are two of the elite talents in the American League right now. It's the best shortstop in baseball. And honestly, a guy I believe is one of the top three to five uh, starters in baseball. That's just the truth of it at this point. And that's why his name keeps coming up. We're almost out of time. So I think I'm going to save the draft content for tomorrow. Um, like, you know, I'll just do a quick thing here at the end. It, it's, it is one of those things where when I pull up that article, there were 12 guys that stood out. A lot of this is, is production or uh, perceived production. It's This draft is deep. The Indians, unfortunately, are picking in the 20s. Their comp pick will be in the 30s, so they have the equivalent of two first-rounders this year. Uh, and it's a deep draft. It's a good year to have a lot of picks. I have never seen this much college pitching depth ever in the history of scouting these things. Uh, you're going to get guys in the second round who would have been first rounders a year ago. But uh, not a good year to pick at the top. Uh, my number one guy, Austin Martin, will be the only one I'm going to talk about on today's show. Former Indians draft pick, fun fact. One of those guys that even as they drafted him, and he wasn't um, you know, he wasn't like a huge name. He wasn't like a first round talent. This wasn't like Kumar Rocker, another Vanderbilt guy. Or Cole Wilcox, who's another, who's a guy who's draft eligible this year, went to Georgia, where it's a guy I gave a first round grade to, and we knew that he wasn't signing. Martin was a later tier guy, um, very good talent. Don't get me wrong; you don't get recruited to Vanderbilt unless you are a great talent. But uh, you know, I just kind of wrote, "No chance he'd sign him." He's a Vanderbilt uh, prospect. He has just hit the cover off the ball. Um, when you look at things that are indicators of future success, uh, he, those stand out for him. And I don't know if he's going to necessarily hit for power, but it's it's kind of a Nick Madrigal profile who was a you know a relatively high pick a few years ago. But that's kind of where this class is. Like he's got a little bit of a better ceiling than Madrigal. Hit tool isn't there as much, but I think there's a little bit more power. But I would have thought Madrigal had a much better chance to play shortstop than Austin Martin does. Ma- Martin's going to be at second or third, and that kind of speaks to what I was talking about. How the it's a bad year to be at the top of the class. You know, it's, it's not a year. For the Tigers and such, uh, you know, it would have been much better to have a the number one overall pick last year uh, when you had a Rushman or a Casey Mize the year before. Those are guys that are legitimately worth. And maybe someone will step up. Maybe one of these will find a little bit more. It happens. J.J. Bladé. I mean, last year, Ed Vandy was a classic example where he really put it all together. So we'll see what occurs. 
But, uh, yeah, this year, I like Martin a lot. I think there's a lot of positives. But he would have probably been, like, fourth on my board a year ago. And he's sitting there at number one this year. And, again, I think it's uh, one of those years where it's better to have a whole mess of picks rather than pick near the top. I just, I'm not in love with the top of the class. But I, there, there's some guys for there. It's, the problem with these early big boards is it's, you put them together and you kind of have your built-in biases at this point. Um, and once the year gets going, I, I often will drastically shift because I'm seeing more, um, I'm getting more videos, I'm talking to people and the like. And, you know, I can already look at this and I can tell everyone right now, like, Blaze Jordan could end up being my number one player before it's all said and done. Um, he is on this list. We'll get to him tomorrow. But uh, you want to talk about indicators of future success. Um, I'm not sure there's one he doesn't have. Uh, he's, same thing with, with Reed Detmers. Uh, at Louisville, like I am extremely high on him compared to the crowd, but he's Brandon McKay all over again. It's so easy to see just in terms of production and what he does. And if you go back to the time that McKay was at Louisville, he was not considered entering his junior year one of the top five pitchers in the class. Uh, I don't even think he made my first way too early mock, which back then, you know, I was kind of really listening to others instead of trusting myself. And I remember starting the year, and the reason that stands out is I'm like, I really like him. No one else seems to have a first-round grade. Everywhere I look, he is not talked about. Like, he just, he was not talked about as a first-rounder. And I'm like, man, he has been, from the moment he stepped on the diamond, he's one of the best pitchers in baseball. And I I only viewed him as a pitcher, frankly. So that's, you know, at that point. But I was like, I mean, yeah, the ceiling isn't crazy high because he doesn't have that huge velocity. He doesn't have uh, anything that I look at. And I'm like, oh, that's just a filthy pit. But he just... He commanded everything so well that it elevated the grade of every pitch he had. And, of course, he elevated himself to one of the top picks in the draft. Um, So, yeah, sleep on Detmers at your own risk. But I'm stealing some of my thunder for tomorrow. Uh, We'll get into this some more. Uh, Depending on how the Indians play next year, uh, this this draft um, might be a nice respite in, in June. Uh, it is, I know it, how they play won't affect this year's draft, but, uh, you will, (laughs) when the Indians are bad, uh, in season, I start getting questions about the draft that is occurring and then a lot more of the looking forward to, now I don't think the Indians are going to be bad. It's still a very talented squad, but they have to do things to improve. Um, if, if they go to camp without another major move, then it's... then Dolan's should be rightly castigated for uh, terrible ownership at this point because there's no way they are not making money. Uh, No one loses money, for the most part, on a sports team. I want to thank you all for listening, reading, and reviewing. And uh, even though it's gone negative, I still trust in this uh, this not the ownership. I I have issues with the ownership now. I still trust in this management group. I think they get the most that they can out of any team. I will trust them until they showed me that I should not. And as always, go Tribe.